Make your way to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Turn there, if you would, in your copy of the Word of God. And we are going to continue in our study of the pastoral epistles. We have uh, really just learned so much about the proper expectations that we should have for the local church, from leadership to fellowship as the body. All of these expectations have been put in order for us, and it's no different this evening as we come back to the letter of Paul, the first letter of Paul to his disciple, his young protege, Timothy. Timothy, by way of review, is the pastor at Ephesus. You know Ephesus because there was a letter written to that church called Ephesians. And in Acts 20, Paul had a special bond with the elders at Ephesus, and he warned them in Acts 20. He warned them to watch out because wolves were going to come into the flock in sheep's clothing. They were going to come in and they were going to attempt to destroy what God was doing at Ephesus. And now, here in this time period, Timothy is sent to deal with those wolves that have crept into the church at Ephesus. He's there to put things in order. Chapter 3, verse 15 says, He wrote these things, Paul wrote these to Timothy, so that Timothy may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress or foundation of the truth. And so that's what we've been studying. We've been going through paragraph by paragraph, examining what we are to be about, what this church is to be focused on, what its leadership is to be characterized by. And in chapter 5, we have been particularly discussing relationships within the body. What is the relationship of the leadership To the congregation, how should they relate to one another? And then, no doubt, the principle is broader than that. How is it that the body is to be relating to itself? And the categories that are given to us in the beginning of chapter 5 are based on age, and they're to cover the whole gamut of those who are gathered in the local church. Older men, younger men, older women, and younger women. That is the general overview in verses 1 and 2. We came then to verse 3, and we delved into the particular relationship, particular relationship between the church and widows. What was the church to be concentrating on when it came to those who were without husbands and truly widows who were destitute? They were without a way of provision. And we talked about this at length last week, looking deeply at the characteristics that God had given as marking out true widows from widows who are not at all destitute. He put a high priority on the family of the widow to care for her needs, and the church is to step in and make sure that she's provided for if she is without provision, and if she is godly, setting her hope on God, verse 5 says, and continuing in supplications and prayers night and day. So this lady is to be characterized by godliness and utter destitution. And this was not uncommon. There was no welfare system. There was no social security system, which is quickly where we're heading here as well. And so women who were without family, those who had no provision for them, were really left to their own means. They had no way of making enough money to eat and clothe themselves and have a place to live. And so Paul calls upon the church to minister to these ladies, to honor them, that is, financially care for their needs. The paragraph we're going to look at tonight is certainly one that needs our attention, and it is 
it is particularly important for us because I feel like this particular section has just gone unnoticed. You know, there are portions of our Bibles that just seem like when we read them and we study them, they're just non-existent in the life of the church. We just don't really, we read them and we just kind of go, that must not be happening anymore. I'm not sure what that is. Widows have been so underutilized and so unmentioned in the church because of the provision for their needs outside of the church that I think we have missed the, Im- the impact of verses 9 through 16 for church life as a whole. At least in my experience, we have underestimated the value and the ministry opportunity that is before widows, unlike any other group within the church. Nothing is more critical, you'll remember, for young Timothy as he is confronting error and as he is living as a young pastor, a young leader within the church, than his relationship to God's people, and in particular, his relationship to these widows. Last week, we took a little bit of a bird's eye view and we saw the pastoral relationships in general in verses 1 and 2, and then pastoral relationships in specific, which take us from 5, 3, all the way through 6, 2. Right? You remember this? So if you're looking at your Bible, verses 3 through 16 of chapter 5 deal in two different facets with widows. So 3 to 8 is caring for widows. 9 to 16 is the ministry of widows. Verse 17 of chapter 5 down through verse 25 discusses elders and the care for elders within the church. That is the office of elder, episkopos those who provide leadership to the ministry. And then verses 1 and 2 outline the, the final relationship that Timothy is to give care to, and that is as it regards to slaves, care for those who are in slavery and in the body of Christ. And that is really outside of our thinking, and yet I don't think it's outside of the application for our church even in this time period. Okay, so that brings us to 1 Timothy chapter 5, and I hope that catches you up at some level. We're coming off of chapter 4, and we have not departed far from 4, where he outlined a contrast between the false teachers and the truth, that is the good servant, and then commended Timothy to make much of the Word of God and to be an example as a leader in the church. So let's read verses 1 all the way through verse 16 just to have our minds saturated with the context of what we're going to study this evening. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says this, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Verse 9, let a widow be enrolled or enlisted, if she is not less than 60 years of age. 
having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith, or your translation might say, former pledge. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any, believing woman has relatives who are widows, here is the conclusion to the whole section. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may be so that it may care for those who are truly widows. And that is the conclusion of our study. That is the word of the Lord. We're going to look at two defining characteristics tonight from verses 9 to 16. One, qualified widows. These are the commands. Qualified widows must be enrolled. Okay? Very simple. Qualified widows need to be enrolled. And secondly then, unqualified widows must be remarried. Alright? That's it. Very basic. Very simple. There's a lot of words, but the ideas are very straightforward, and I trust they'll be easy for you to understand this evening. The early church fathers remind us that there was, in fact, in the early church, an order of widows who ministered as a group. There was actually a grouping of ladies within the body, many of whom were represented in verses 3 through 8 as the true widows. So they were cared for by the church, and in response not having family to care for their needs, they gave themselves entirely to the ministry that they could fulfill within the church. And so there was an entire grouping. Three of the church fathers tell us, and by the third century, there is a clear grouping of widows within the local churches that are giving themselves to the care of orphans, those who had no family to parent them, to meeting physical needs, to helping those who were sick, and to aiding in the baptism of other women. So preparing them, discipling them, and if we were to boil it down, really, and stay within the pastoral epistles, the ministry of the order of widows within the early church was fulfilling Titus 2, 3 to 5, right? So they were focusing their entire energy as widows on training up the younger women in the way of the Lord, calling them to obedience, calling them to serve their homes and their families as God had called them. And so it's not uncommon, or it's not uh, surprising to us, I should say, it's not surprising that Paul includes this section, even though it's foreign to our understanding. This is not an office of the church, but it is certainly an order. It was a list, it was a roll call of widows who gave themselves, who committed their lives to the ministry of the church. It's a fascinating thought, and it's one that I think we as leadership need to be alert to as a potential for real ministry opportunity to a group of people who often are swept under the rug and forgotten within the local church. So these qualified widows 
were to be enrolled. That is, they were to be committed to a list for the sake of ministry. Let's look at verse 9, and we'll just, verse 9 and 10 really explain this to us. Let a widow be enrolled if and only if, here are the requirements. Here are the qualifiers for a widow being entered onto the list of ministry widows. One, she's 60 plus years old. I mean, if this isn't practical, nothing is in the Word of God. She needs to be over 60 years old. That was the traditional uh, age when children were out of the home, where life as a family had come to an end. She would no longer be looking to start another family. And so 60 plus years were required before a widow would be qualified to be put on the list of ministry widows. Now, if that wasn't specific enough, it's going to go on to explain to us the credentials or the qualifiers for these widows. Okay, first one, she needs to be 60 years of age at least. Secondly, having been the wife of one husband. So the first qualification deals with age. The second qualification deals with purity. It's fascinating because I don't know that before my study in this paragraph, I had ever been alerted to, reading this myriads of times, ever been alerted to the direct parallel in the Greek language that the wife of one husband is to 1 Timothy 3, the husband of one wife, right? For the elder and the deacon. This is the exact same context. The exact same idea that she was to be a one-man woman. The widow was to be 60 plus years old. She could have been remarried if she was a younger widow, which we're going to see later in the paragraph. That's exactly what she should have done. And yet, throughout her life, the standard of her life has been faithfulness. She has been morally faithful and pure to her husband. She is a one-man woman. And ladies, young and old, this evening, let me encourage you as you look at this passage to be readily uh, examining your own heart to see if these are the characteristics that are being put in order. Is this the standard of life that is being set in order so that if in God's providence you were an older widow within the church, you would be particularly qualified to minister in a very special way within the local assembly. Right? So this is something where when it says 60 plus years old, many of us are immediately thinking, well then I don't need to apply this text to my life. This is for someone else. This is for the leadership to know what to do with 60 plus year old widows. When in fact the standard of her life is laid out here. These are the qualifiers. Her age is first, but her purity is second. And then thirdly, and probably most challenging, is her fruitfulness. Her fruitfulness is a qualifier for her ministry life. And when I say fruitfulness, I do not mean physically, but spiritually. Look at verse 10. Here is the fruitfulness that qualifies this widow for being a ministry widow. And having a reputation for good works. That's a general broad heading. We have a heading and a conclusion that are the same. Having a reputation for good works and has devoted herself to every good work are the bookends that, it, that encapsulate what is in the middle. She has a reputation for good works. That is the staple, the standard of her life. 
Now, what are those good works? She has brought up children. She has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of saints, has cared for the afflicted, and then concluding, has devoted herself to every other, to every good work. So what are the good works that are her reputation? One, rearing children. Rearing children is a work that is good and is a reputation of devoting yourself to what God has called you to. Ladies, this is the qualifying standard. In one of the commentaries that I read on this section, there was an illustration of a lady who came to a pastor, an older widow. Her children were all out of the home. And she spoke to the pastor and said, I have always been discouraged. When I was a young girl, I wanted so much to give my life to special ministry for the Lord. Now I'm an old widow, and I don't feel that I have done anything of note for the Lord. And the wise pastor asked her, well, what have you spent your time doing? She said, well, I've just been mopping floors, washing dishes, cooking meals, raising children. The story goes on that he asked her, well, where are your children? And she said, well, you know my four boys. We named them after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Where's Matthew? Matthew's in Africa, serving on the mission. Where's Mark? Mark is in China. Where's Luke? Luke is in China with Mark. Where's John? Well, he's just finishing his schooling, but he's just recently told me he is also feeling the call of God on his life and desires to go to Africa to join his brother, Matthew. And the pastor responded to this widow, you have given your life to exactly the service that God has called you to. You have done great things for you have reared your children. You have raised and nourished your children. And the sense here in verse 10 has brought up children is both spiritual and physical. You have cared for needs and you have nurtured in the admonition of the Lord. This is the testimony of this qualified widow. Not only has she given herself to her family as a good work, as a faithfulness to her calling, but she has been noted for her hospitality. She's been noted for her hospitality. And the hospitality here is something that's totally unique to our culture. We do not understand hospitality from a New Testament sense. There were no hotels. There was no Holiday Inn of Jerusalem. Or there was no Hilton. Okay, maybe we have, you know, Holiday Inn Express. We're talking golden opportunity, okay? There was nothing like that. There were only inns and taverns. And inns and taverns, when you read the nativity account in the next couple of weeks, understand that going to an inn was parallel to going to a bar with rooms. Okay? That's, and you can just let your imagination run with the kind of despicable filth that went on at inns and taverns. They were bars, places of drunkenness that had bedrooms attached to them that could be rented. And so there were no places to stay. And Christians, those who were committed to God and to purity and holiness, would rely on the hospitality of those within the local churches in whatever area they came to during the night. So they would come and find another group of believers and say, who can I stay with this evening? And widows were particularly gifted or talented with their situation of life to open their homes to strangers, to allow people of God and those who they didn't even know 
to come into their home and to serve them, to give them beds and to give them food. So the standard of this life, if we were to make this a principle, because this is outside of our understanding or our cultural experience, this lady threw open her home. And she used her home as an opportunity to serve. That was the characteristic of her life. She brought up her children. She opened her home as a place of ministry. That has not changed. That is still possible. And that is still the calling that God has placed on us. Hospitality should be the defining mark of the Christian. Whether someone is known or unknown, in hospitality generally in the New Testament is dealing with people that weren't known. Not your family, but those who you don't know. Opening your home as a ministry. Verse 10 goes on with another characteristic. She had washed the feet of the saints. Say, what is that talking about? Well, we understand a little bit about foot washing from John 13. Right? Where Jesus, the king, washed the feet of his servants, the disciples. Exemplifying ultimate humility for us as the people of God. In the local setting, in the local churches, they would meet in homes. There were no buildings. There weren't generally high schools where they would go and have an opportunity to have a bunch of seats that were very comfortable and folded down. So they would meet in probably the largest home they could or the only home that was offered. And the church would gather in these homes with much of the same structure that we enjoy today. And yet when they entered the home, as was customary of their time, wearing sandals in the filthy dust, someone would be there to wash the feet of those who arrived. This widow's life was marked by such humility and service that she was willing and acted upon her willingness to be the one that would stand at the door and wash the feet of the saints as they arrived to worship God. This is a lady who was characterized by selflessness. These were her qualifications. She was rearing, had brought up children. She had opened her home as a pattern of life for the sake of ministry. And she had washed the feet of the saints. She was a selfless servant. When I was in high school, I was blessed by the ministry of a Christian camp back east called the Wilds Christian Camp. And while there, I was in counselor and training or leadership training at some point in my later years in high school and I remember the concept being painted for me of service within the church and the world often says he who has the most he who dies with the most toys wins right you've seen that sticker and the teacher the one who is shepherding us through uh, the teaching on service because of John 13 and the standard laid out for us gave us this principle. He who dies with the dirtiest towel wins. Giving their life to cleaning feet. This is the staple of this sweet widow who is qualified to be put on the role for ministry. She's washed the feet of the saints. She's a carpet Christian. She'll go down and get down on the floor to serve. Not only that, but finally, she has cared for the afflicted. And these are big general terms, but she has cared, she has provided uh, for the needs of those who are afflicted. That would have been sick, that could have been orphans who were poverty-stricken. She was a lady who looked for needs and met them as opportunities arose. Right? She opened her home. 
She used her home first and foremost to bring up children. She showed hospitality. She washed feet. She was a servant. And she cared for the afflicted. She was a needs meter. All of that was within this life that was not less than 60 years of age. She was a faithful lady and she was committed and faithful in purity as a one-man woman, the wife of one husband. So these widows were to be committed to the ministry of the church. They were fully devoted to the lifestyle of a servant within the church. And they were to be the living examples. As a group, they were to exemplify Titus 2, 3-5. Older women training up younger women ministering as they could within the body and devoting their entire life to the ministry of the local church. Now, we come to the second facet of this paragraph, and it's important. Qualified widows must be enrolled, but secondly, Paul does not leave us without information, unqualified widows were to be remarried. They were to remarry. And that begins in verse 11 and carries us through the end of the paragraph. Verse 11 says, But refuse, refuse to enroll younger widows. Don't do it, Timothy. Refuse to do it. You can just imagine. Here's a young pastor. He's in his 30s. And there's a widow who comes to him. That Let's say she's 55 years old. She's been a faithful lady. She's served Christ. She has a testimony of godliness. She comes to young whippersnapper, 30-year-old Timothy. She might grab him by the cheek and say, Can I talk to you for a minute, Sonny? Timothy's thinking, oh dear, this is not good. She says, you know how much I love Christ. You know the testimony of God's work in my life. Can I please be added to the role I'd really love to serve in this special way? And Paul here is not cruel. He is not mean-spirited. But he says, refuse to enroll younger widows. And Timothy could fall back and say, no, the apostle told me to make sure that it was 60 plus that got on the list. And you, young lady, are not yet qualified for that, for that list. So Timothy was to refuse it. He was to say no. There was discrimination when it came to the ministry of the local church. It was not just an open-ended offer. Too much was riding, and too much is still riding, on the ministry of the local church. For it just to be, throw the doors open, anybody who wants to lead, anybody who wants to serve, anybody who wants to minister in any public way at all, come one, come all, and enjoy. There are restrictions, and he has refused to enroll these younger ladies. Why? Why was their enrollment for service not granted as younger widows? Well, there are two reasons why it would be folly to enroll these younger widows. One is in verses 11 and 12, and the second one is found in verse 13. We'll just look at these quickly. One, in verses 11 and 12, they will desire marriage and leave the list. All right? And we don't get this. I understand. I'm, I'm with you, okay? I know you're sitting there and you're just going, i got nothing to relate this to. I do not understand what's going on here. But we're talking about a commitment to ministry being added to the role of the widows was equivalent to taking on a particular responsibility within the church. And Paul was concerned that Timothy not enroll younger widows. Why? Because when their passions draw them away from Christ, they will desire to marry. Their passions are not evil passions. You may have the word lust. You may have the word desire. 
This is simply their sexual, physical, God-given desires will draw them away from Christ. You say, well, how can that be? Well, in the context of what we're discussing, their devotion to Christ, their commitment to Christ is attached intrinsically to their role, to their ministry as widows and an order of widows. And so it will be their passions. It will be their desire. It will be everything natural within them will draw them away from what they have committed their lives to and they will depart from it. They will go and they will marry. And in marrying, they will incur condemnation. Look at verse 12. And so incur condemnation. They will be judged and punished for this. Why? For having abandoned their former pledge or faith. At best, they would be judged and punished by a loving father for breaking their promise, their pledge, to serve the church exclusively. And at worst, in leaving their pledge and in leaving their promise, they would absolutely abandon their former faith, that is, depart from the faith. For some, verse 15 says, have already strayed after Satan. So Paul's not playing games. Those who were unqualified to be on the list were to remarry. It would be foolish to enroll the young widows because they desire marriage and that desire would lead them away from their pledge, their commitment, their step of faith to be added to this list. Verse 13 says, besides that, or adding on to that, they learn because they are without responsibility at a young age and without a commitment to serve, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So two reasons why it would be folly. One is their desire for marriage will draw them away. Secondly, they will be given to active lifestyles of gossip. Because of their widowhood, and because of the inherent context in which we're speaking, these ladies would be given to idle, idle lifestyles. Idleness would mark them. Laziness, meddling. By enlisting these women, they would be given to something other than their God-given calling in the home. These younger widows, it is inferred, it is assumed, have not yet completed what God has called them to be as women. Their wicked speech will be the fruit of their unqualified addition to the list. They will be gossips and busybodies. These terms are so common, and they mean exactly what you think they mean. Gossips are those who transfer information, whether true or untrue, as a lifestyle. And busybodies are those who make themselves very occupied with the lives of other people. Our world preys on busybodies. I don't know if you've been to the grocery store lately and happened to glance at a magazine rack, but it's begging you to be a busybody. Who cares what Brad Pitt did last week? Really? I don't need to know. You don't need to know. We don't need to talk about it. It doesn't need to come up in our discussion. We have bigger fish to fry. Our world preys on it. There are all kinds of, of shows that just tell you things about people. 
For what purpose? I don't know, other than that you can talk about them. And you can gather around with other people. And I know I may be, as Tom Pennington would say, treading where angels fear to go. But you can gather with other ladies and talk about what's going on, whether it's in the life of those near you or the life of those who you'll never meet and who are distorted in their perception from the media. Busybodies, gossips, house-to-house, idlers, this would be the characteristic of these young widows if they were added to the list. So, the church is to restrict the ministry role for only the qualified widows, but it is to call the unqualified to another lifestyle. It is not to call them to specific ministry on the role. It is to call them to remarry. It's not that they're inherently wicked or without purpose now in life. They are equally given a command. Verse 14 and 15 wrap up this paragraph. So I would have, Paul says, if they're not to be added to the role, I would have the younger widows marry. Go ahead and remarry. Bear children manage their houses, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Don't let Satan have an opportunity to use your life, widow, to tear down the cause of Christ. For some, verse 15 says, for some have already strayed after Satan. They've left the faith, and they have gone after the slanderer himself. They have believed his lies, they have bought his counterfeits, and they have departed. Paul here does not negate his earlier teaching in 1 Corinthians. Let's get that straight, and we won't have time tonight because we're, we're nearly out of time already to delve into this. But go back to 1 Corinthians. We need to at least reference this. Paul, you may have already been thinking this in your mind. He here calls these widows, these ladies who by the providence of God have been made single again, He does call them back to marriage. And that does not in any way contradict what we find in 1 Corinthians 7. Beginning in verse 6, I want to read this for you just because, and we don't really have time to work through this. This is a phenomenal section. I look forward to to studying 1 Corinthians with you in the future. He is addressing principles for marriage. He's dealing with all the angles of marriage. And he comes to verse 6 and he says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself am, that is, single, that each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. That is, some are gifted for singleness, some are gifted for marriage. To the unmarried and the widows, Paul says, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Singleness, in this particular paragraph, is seen as a gifting from God. The home is the God-ordained norm for ladies. Right? Let's be clear. Caring for the home, remarriage, rearing children, managing the household, is what God has called ladies to as the norm. Paul here shares his desire. Why is he desiring for people to remain single? Well, he explains because they can give themselves entirely to the ministry of the gospel without distraction. 
this isn't rocket science. Those who don't have a family, those who aren't married, have a single focus. They have an opportunity to give themselves in a special way to the ministry of the church and of the gospel. And yet he says in verse 6, as a concession, that is, as an opinion from me, as a desire from me as an apostle, not as a command. This is not the norm, but this is the desire of the apostle. That the unmarried and the widows, it's good for them. It's good for them to remain single if they can remain single. And if they cannot, it is necessary for them to remarry. And that's what we find back in our passage of 1 Timothy chapter 5. I want to throw this out, that divorcees should also be addressed in this section. We don't have time tonight, and maybe it's dangerous for me to even bring this up as a side note. But those who have divorced appropriately, those who have been divorced by unbelieving spouses, those who have gone through divorce because of infidelity on the part of their spouse, we believe that the innocent party is free to remarry. And they should. And they should desire it, and they should be pursuing it. That is the intention that we find with these widows who are younger giving themselves back to marriage that they might raise up children, that they might manage their household, and that they might give the adversary no occasion for slander. If you want to study out a little more on the divorce side of things, you can look at Romans chapter 7, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 7 has more to say in verse 15. And then really the crux of it, and we'll get there, is in Matthew chapter 19. We'll be there in about four years in the morning. <laughs> Matthew chapter 19, verses 7 to 9. Maybe three and a half. By giving their time and energy to what is appropriate, the young remarried widows will provide no opportunity for slander of Christ in His church. Okay? So, qualified widows need to be added to the list. They need to be given entirely to ministry. And those who are unqualified are not left floundering. They are to remarry. And go on raising children and managing their house. Unqualified widows are not left out in the streets of the ministry. They are to joyfully pursue remarriage for the sake of fulfilling their God-given calling. Right? It is better to remarry than to make a promise of singleness when that has not been the gift God has given you and then to depart from that pledge to turn your back on what you have promised to God. Then we come to verse 16, and we'll wrap it up. This is our conclusion. He goes back to his original thought in verses 3 through 8, and he just puts, he puts the end on this. Make sure, make sure, note to self, Timothy, if any believing woman has relatives, let me remind you again, who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that they may care for those who are truly widows. And we looked at that last week. At the end of the whole section, he wants to make sure that families understand their responsibility so that the church is not burdened and that it can give care that is appropriate to those who need it. So, how does this all apply? Other than, in its basic application, that we as a church need to be desiring to live out the expectations granted to us here in the pastoral epistles. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I ask you this. Are we thinking rightly as a ministry and as individuals about widows who are in Christ. 
Secondly, widows, are you committed to the life that you have been called to by God? If you are qualified, are you committed to ministry in a particular fashion? If you are unqualified, are you committed to a lifestyle pursuing remarriage as God guides and directs? By pursuing, I am making no statement about how you would go about pursuing that. We can talk about that at a later time. Younger women, are you committed to the God-ordained calling on your life, and are you setting a standard that would make you qualified as a widow to provide ministry within the church? Is this the commitment of your life? You say, I love to go to Proverbs 31 and study the characteristics of, of the, woman, the woman of worth. Come back after Proverbs 31 and go to 1 Timothy 5 and look at that widow who's qualified for ministry. That should be the standard of life. So that when you're 60 plus and God takes your husband from you, you can be committed and enrolled to particular and special ministry within the church. And then finally, and this is foundational, our desire is to live and administer within these expectations, what Richard was saying tonight. We want to know the Word and we want to commit ourselves to living within the Word as a local assembly. So this passage is, is particularly important to us because it has been forgotten often within the church. Special people. And the relationship that Timothy has to these precious ladies is vital because it will be a mark of a healthy church that is a biblical church. A church that is the ground and the pillar of the truth. And that's what Timothy is to be pursuing and that's what we are to be desiring and praying for here at Grace Church of the Valley.